Well, good morning, Grace Covenant. Have a seat. I want to start by thanking everyone for being involved in our Easter celebration, Resurrection Sunday last week. Was that just awesome? I mean, we had almost filled the house. So yeah, that's just, so many of you guys came early, so much so we didn't, weren't regular, we weren't ready for you guys showing up on time, I mean early and it was great time, great time. And uh, some of you um, read and might have misread that um, I was leaving on sabbatical after Easter. No, I'm here. Like, hey, I'm not leaving. I'm leaving soon after this, though. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to give one more uh, lesson. And this is my, one of my top five favorite things to teach on. I live by this uh, set of scriptures. And I, I feel like it is life-altering for every one of the seven seasons of life. So you can turn to Galatians chapter 6. I'll meet you there. And I'll tell you how it all got started and why it means so much to me. It all started in the great blizzard of 1972 in San Antonio. We had such a snowfall that the city was paralyzed and the mayor was forced to shut the city down. No one could be on the roads. We had two inches of snow on the ground and four inch drifts. There were places in my neighborhood you couldn't see the curb. And what I loved about it was uh, that there was no school and we could just do whatever we wanted for that day. And I mean, there was still there were lessons to be learned that day after all. Once we got the, the word, one of, one of the guys blew the conch and then uh, the Lord of the Flies met at the elementary school. We were in junior, I was in junior high, so that is Lord of the Flies, perfect. But it was eerie because it was like we owned the town. We were walking down the center of all the, about 12 to 15 of us, just walking down the center of all the streets like the Wild West. Like, you know what, this is our town. And we had about 12 hours of not snowball fight, but more like slush ball fights. It was one of those snows. And anyway, the, it was a great day. It could have stayed that way, but the sanctity of the moment was violated by a car. A car is on the street by no less than some high school kid. Uh, what was his name? Dan Cook Jr. I remember that, okay? 1968 Chevy Nova hopped up V8 engine, glass pack exhaust so it'd be loud. And he's at the kind of the top of this hill and he looks at us and revs his engine on my street, like where we're walking. And then he flashes his lights at us and it's like, well, bring it high schooler, let's go. And as he charges down, like this, right, this, this matador is coming, charging bull at us. We all took our positions behind trees and bushes and loaded up. And when he passed by, he was pelted, like 12 to 15 of these slush balls. And that sound, oh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a lot louder than I thought it would have been. And when he got to the end of the street, hit at that parking brake, spun around at 180, he's looking right at us through a shattered windshield. Yeah, I know. We all scattered and ran. One guy got caught, wouldn't do the cyanide pill like we all promised, <laughs> turned us all in. And I've got to go talk to my dad and tell him wh what happened. And my dad, you need to know, his undergrad was in engineering. And so he just, you know, he thought, he thought. And he's asking, he wasn't thinking too much because he was asking a 13-year-old boy why. And can I tell some of you parents, you never, ever ask a 13-year-old boy why. The answer is they don't know. So I said, I don't know. It seemed fun at the time. And this is where it all started. I said, I didn't think it could break a windshield. I, I mean, it's just a snowball. And he said, Matt, this is physics. 
It's just the fundamentals of physics. If, if, if a half pound slush ball is hitting a car going 35 miles an hour, that, that slush ball, it's like the slush ball is going 35 miles an hour. It's a weapon. Of course it's gonna shatter the windshield, it's physics. When do you take physics? I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Lesson learned, kind of, because <clears throat> uh, three years later, uh, my, f- my brother's one of my better, brother's better friends. When we had a really unique relationship, what I would make fun of him and then he would beat me up. And, and so he's in my front yard, standing in my front yard, talking to my brother. And I'm like, now it's time to get even. So I, I blew the conch again and I got some friends together. One of them had a driver's license and we filled this water balloon, this balloon up with water about the size of a cantaloupe. It's more like the size of a bowling ball, which will be useful in this illustration. We got in the car, drove around the block a couple times, heckling him every time we drove by. And then it's the last time we're coming off of the hill on Indigo Drive and we're like, we're catching air. When we land, we honk the horn and I'm leaning out the the window and looking at him. I'm going to call his name and I just let that water balloon go. It was awesome. Slid right down his hood. Splash! We all turned around as we're still going down the street, looking backwards and seeing water and glass and chrome and metallic paint and we got to the bottom of the hill car stopped kicked me out I walked home by the time I got home my dad's in the front yard but by then my my father-in-law my my father and I Jerome you know we, we were able to communicate telepathically and so the conversation was much shorter than usual and I just said physics dad right he said, yeah, yeah, physics, 45 miles an hour. When do you take physics? I said, I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to take it next year. <laughs> well, okay. Here's the lesson of, that, of those lessons. One is one that ignorance and good intentions is no match for the laws of nature. Physics doesn't care. I mean, I didn't know any better. And both times they were in good humor. They were for the fun, fun of it. But guess what? Both times, two windshields were shattered. They were expensive. If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to show you where Paul is going to kind of use physics. He's going to use natural laws to prove and to show us, to, I guess, inform us of spiritual laws. And, and here's why. Because we're spiritually impaired. We're spiritually learning impaired. It's, and naturally so. Like, how do we know what's going on in the spirit world and, and what the laws of the spirit world are? Because they're invisible. So what Paul is saying is like, no, no, you can see that the natural laws of the physical world that we can see and taste and touch and smell actually, actually translate over to the spiritual world. And Paul would say, and so did St. Augustine and G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis, some other men would say, they said, look, no, 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 it it precedes that. When God created all things, he was creating a lot of nature with laws built into them because we would be spiritually learning impaired so that we could know how the spirit laws work. In other words, I'm going to write a set of spirit or natural laws so that you can, so I'm going to try to take the mystery out of the spiritual realm. If it works in the physical realm, maybe that's a clue to the spiritual realm. Even, even the seasons of the year, you could say, 
where just let's pick on two. The, the winter season is when you look around your yard or, or, you know, around the city and it looks like, well, death. Everywhere you look, you think, I got to cut that tree down. There's no signs of life. Your gardens, your lawn, everything dead. Wait for it. <laughs> and then spring comes, the most vivid and brilliant of the seasons. And it gives us a sense of hope. I mean, we come out of the winter and say, ah, we can live again. It's as though we planted a little seed on the ground in the wintertime, and then it just laid there. We gave up all kinds of expectations, and then suddenly the seedling cracks through a stone and comes out this brilliant life. And Jesus says, yeah, that's my story. You're going to plant me into the ground and I'm going to break a stone open and you're going to see a resurrection. And all of these winters that were followed by springs were to set this thing up for you. So it won't be kind of the first resurrection you'll see and it won't be the last. That your body's going to get planted in the ground and it's going to look very dead. Wait for it. And then there'll be another resurrection for you. So the point is the physical world helps us understand the spiritual world. And so in Galatians, Paul's going to help us understand when he gets to the application section of this book, how we should then live. Now, the context of this section is it's important to understand that Galatians, this letter to this church, is, I would say, the most efficient and clearest expression and definition of the gospel. And in this in this, in, in this definition, with its consequences, Paul's going to say, this is the gospel. Okay, this is the one and only gospel. If you deviate from this, you're cursed. I mean, angels would be cursed. It is in Christ alone, in faith alone, in the gift alone. It is only by grace. And grace means gift. What was the gift? Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Death on the cross, resurrection from the tomb. And it's faith in that death and resurrection, believing that to be what cures you of the curse that you have. And listen, it's very important that you understand absolutely all of this because it means Jesus paid all of it. It's finished. You can't pay him back and you can't try to like earn the gift later. If you earn it, then it's not a gift. So when people come into like a full understanding of the depth of the gospel, there's usually two radically different responses. And that's what Paul's talking about. There's radically different responses to this. One is the people that say, this is going on for thousands of centuries, that people go, what? Complete absolution of guilt? A, an honor of Jesus Christ himself? And a power of the resurrection in my life? They say, what? I, I just want to live graciously. I want to live like overflowing with gratitude. Gratefulness will rule my life. I will do anything and everything the Lord God calls me to do. He bought me out of hell. I, would you, and, and some guy that's been mean for years with his ex-wife, he comes to understanding this forgiveness. Hey, well, how about you start being nice to your ex-wife? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to pay her early. I'm going to pay the child support extra. Why wouldn't I? That's what I got from God, you know? And so that type of person not only lives graciously, but they give grace out to other people. They can't contain it. It's overflowing in their life. So that's one response. There's this other response though. And the other response is, okay, so 
all my bills are paid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how about I just run up the bill then? How about I just continue to sin? How about I take advantage of God and do whatever I want? Sounds like entitlement, not appreciation, right? Because it is. And, and, and it's, it sounds crazy. It, it is. It's ungrateful. And Paul's saying, okay, those are the two responses. Let's, let's talk about how to respond to those. And that's what happens in chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And he's, what's, what's wonderful about Paul's teaching here is he's going to look at, he's going to answer both of the problems of these two different lifestyle applications to the true gospel. And he's going to use nature. He's going to use laws of nature to make clear the spiritual laws that are taking place all around us. The people that take advantage of God, he's going to tell them, hey, man, you might not have any consequences for those choices. Not yet. And the people that are living righteously but sacrificially, they're saying, I'm not seeing much of a return on investment on this either. And Paul's going to say, not yet. And the whole time he's just going to use nature to do that. Watch, watch how this rolls out. Here's the general principle. It's the first sentence involved in our time together. Verse 7. He says, do not, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man plants, this he will also harvest. Here's some key words here. Do not be deceived. The word deceived sometimes is translated foolish or naive. I love the translations where it just says, don't be stupid. Don't, don't, don't be stupid here. You're going to play cards with God and bluff? That's stupid. And it says, God will not be mocked. And the word mock there is to, uh, physically means to turn your nose up at him, to sneer at him, to ridicule God. And you know why you don't mock God? Because he's in, on a throne and he's like a melancholy, sulking, like Zeus type deity where he's watching all of creation. When he sees someone step out of line for too long, zaps him with a lightning bolt. That's, the, that's not it at all. He doesn't say that's the way God is. It's not the wrath of God, Paul says to fear. He says it's the laws of nature. It's just whatever you plant, you're going you're gonna to harvest. These are, I know, city people. I like, I, I'm doing this, I'm going to take this slowly because I'm, I'm with you. I have a lawn, that's it, okay? And, and mostly dead. Fundamentals of farming today. If you plant a seed, know this to be true. If you plant a seed, the same thing will grow from that. It's immutable, can't change. So if you plant a watermelon seed, you're gonna get a watermelon. Second thing that we should know that farmers know is that you don't just get one, you get more. It's the same, but way more. So you plant a watermelon seed, you get a whole vine. And in that vine, there's a bunch of different watermelons. And inside those watermelons, there's a, the hundreds of seeds. So like there's a return on whatever investment or whatever choice you make. You plant corn, you get a cornfield. You plant cotton, you better buy a cotton gin. You're gonna get the same thing, but a lot more. You can count on it, live by it, die by it. You can't plant a walnut and get a blueberry. Fundamentals of farming. My dad, physics. If my dad wrote this chapter, he'd say, when do you learn physics? And here's the thing about the laws of nature, your ignorance, or your good intentions, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't care. Yep, this is just, this is the nature of the spiritual life. Every decision has a price tag. That's what Paul wants us to know. 
Every decision has a price tag. And he's going to apply this in two different ways. One, he's going to apply to these, actually these people over here that are living any way they want. And then he's going to encourage those saints in just a few minutes. So the first application is harvest for bad. The very next sentence. For the one who sows his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. Flesh, that, uh, that's a Bible word for saying our passions. Whatever the meat in us, whatever, like, you know, we live with our passions. He says, you live with your passions, you're going to die with those passions. Same thing. You plant weeds, you're going to harvest the same kind of weeds, but a whole lot more. If you look at, honestly, if you look at the simplicity of this, if you look at the marriage ministries we have here at Grace, which would be pre-marriage counseling, re-engage, almost all of our adult communities are all overseen by older people to help younger people. And, they come, and, and they're effectively asking this question. They're doing diagnostic work in people's lives and saying, so what are you planting? Let me see those seeds. These weeds or these healthy things? Because sometimes, especially with younger people, they don't even know weed when they see it. They're like, oh yeah, we don't show a lot of respect for each other. Whoa, you know, that's gonna come back, but with a lot more. That short temper you guys go back and forth with, it doesn't get better, it only gets worse and more. And you, the mentoring couple says, you've gotta face these seeds that are weed-like because they just keep multiplying. And so if you're gonna base a marriage uh, and continue to plant self-centered, you meet my needs sort of, of values, you're gonna harvest, what, bliss? <laughs> no, that's not how, that's not how the, you know physics? This is basic horticulture. No, 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 you, you're going to regret that. It's the physics of marriage. It's, it, you plant anger, you're going to harvest significant isolation. I love what uh, Robert Louis Stevenson says. Memorize this. Everybody, sooner or late, sits down to a banquet of consequences, and we are all going to that banquet. We're all going to that banquet. What you bake in your choices, you will eat at the banquet. And Paul's saying, you plant the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Jesus says this. He's just, again, he's physics. Physics. When do you learn physics? You live by the sword, you die by the sword, Peter. Do you think that mob boss, uh, what's his name, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, do you think he died in the Florida Keys? sipping daiquiris, listening to Jimmy Buffett. He's in an iron drum at the bottom of some lake near Chicago. You live by the sword, Jimmy, you die by the sword. Every decision has a price tag. And, and he's, Paul's coming in here and saying, look, you don't pay the price for obedience. You pay the price for disobedience. You don't pay the price for courage. You pay the price for living in fear all the time. You don't pay the price for being diligent. You pay the price for all these opportunities lost in your compromising. You don't pay the price for holiness. There's a very big cost for living in the flesh. That's what Paul's saying here. And he's saying, do not mock. Don't make God look ridiculous. He can't allow it to continue. If you think you're going to plant thorny weeds and end up with a cute little basket of juicy strawberries, it's impossible for that to happen. 
God is not going to be made fun of. He, he can't allow that to happen. It's a violation of the laws of nature, and therefore it's a violation of spiritual laws as well. And furthermore, it, it, you injure and continue to injure souls by not in appreciating and better respecting the laws, the spiritual laws that are like laws of physics. There's a cost of being lazy. Again, it's just cause effect stuff. The book for that is Proverbs. Proverbs says this, a sluggard, that means a lazy person, a sluggard does not plow in season and at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. I love this. This guy, this is my, this is my dad's tutoring. Physics. He, he sleeps through the planting season but what's great about this little sentence here, he goes, at harvest he looks. Well, there's, there's nothing in the field. Well, you didn't plant so you get nothing. You know what you call a lazy farmer? Starving. Yeah, he's gonna, yeah. So it's not, the, by the way, this is not the wrath of God. This is just the laws of physics. And like here's, you wanna know a way how you can apply this first part, making bad choices? You know how you can apply like the idea of, of, of this law of the harvest in life change? Watch this. So next time you're at your banquet, and it's time to eat up on some of those consequences, have a hearty meal, eat it up. Because the consequences are part of the reasons that you don't wanna go back there ever again. When you harvest of the flesh, corruption and destruction for you and generally the people you love the most, sometimes people will swoop in, well-meaning people, people in the church, Friends and family outside of the church, they'll come in. It's like, hey, man, I, can I help you pay that bill? Can I help you get out of that trouble? Hey, maybe I should make a phone call for you. Stop them. Say no. I'm a repeat offender here. This is not my first harvest. This is my third banquet. And every time someone comes in and helps clear the table for me, I'm not learning. I want to finish this banquet. I'm going to lick the plate. And maybe this is the last time I spend my time here. Just watch what happens. I paid for those two windshields. I was broke most of my adolescent periods, paying for someone else's, paying for my choices and not understanding physics. <laughs> and when I was paying for the windshields, my, I told my dad, uh, look, I'm looking at this dad as like tuition towards like a physics class. And he said, you look at it any way you want. And you know what, though? I've taken that into my life. When I do sit down to these banquets of consequences that I'm not particularly liking the food, I'll say, tuition. This is a tuition to never do this again. Paul says, you reap what you sow, you plant what you harvest. And he's saying this because there are times in our lives where we don't fear God. And he says, if you don't fear God, then fear physics. Because physics says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Paul's saying, if you're not fearing God in this season of your life, you fear gardening. What you plant, you're going you're gonna to harvest, and it's the same, but a lot more. There's times where you just mock God in your regular just thought patterns, and Paul intervenes and says, you ought to just like listen to people when they talk. There's a figure of speech you need to know about. What goes around comes around, right? We know that. Paul is threatening us. He says, if you don't fear God, then you fear mother nature 
She is the uncaring, cold-hearted queen that rules her wild kingdom. And she will distribute poetic justice in huge servings with neither mercy nor malice. You'll just have to live with it. But wait, (laughs) there's more to this lesson. It's not all bad choices. Paul's trying to encourage the people on this side that want to live sacrificially for the Lord Jesus Christ because of all that he did. They want to glorify God with all they do in their life. They want to become like Christ in all of life. What do you need to hear from him? Verse 8 says, harvest for good. There's harvest for good. But the one who sows of the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Wait a minute. It's the law of the harvest again. If you plant good seeds, you get good stuff. Same, but more. We all sit down at a banquet of consequences, he's saying. But sometimes when you're at a banquet and all you've been cooking and preparing is grace, you're going to get grace back, but more. You go into a marriage with like a grace-based relationship value and you say, I'm going to go into this marriage and say, what can I do to serve the collective us? How can I be God's instrument to help grace transform your life to become like Christ in a, you know, tangible way. I want to serve the king by serving you. How do I do that? How do I, I, are there burdens that I can bear for you? Is there something I can do to strengthen your shoulders so that you can carry your own load? You, (laughs) you sow those seeds, you're going to have a pretty good harvest. I mean, again, if you sow an apple seed, you get an apple tree. And if you live a sacrificial, servant-driven, let's glorify God in our marriage together for five and 10 and 30 years, you'll have an apple orchard. And I know some of you like look at your marriages or your lives and you go, how did it get this good? And I'd say, physics, man. (laughs) When do you learn physics? I've been watching you. I've been here for a while. I've been watching you for 25 years guys out giving each other. This is where it ends up. And just like in the previous, you know, proverb, we're talking about sloth leading the natural consequences. Look what Jesus says, the law, the spiritual law of generosity plays itself off. Just cause effect. Uh, Luke chapter six, Jesus says, you forgive and guess what? You will be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. The same? No. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. And Jesus is like, try me. This is a spiritual law. It's cause effect. It's the way it works. I built the place. Do it. Try me. And so Paul, he's, what he's saying here is like, you don't pay, the, you don't pay a high price for like, obedience. You get rewarded for obedience. You don't pay a high price for courage. You get to live, you get to live in freedom. And without fear, you don't pay a price for diligence. You have, you have accomplishments to show for that, for perseverance. He says, you don't pay a high price for holiness. You can hear the very voice of God. That's what Paul's saying. It's just, it's just connect the dots. And he's like, there's sometimes when the Christian life is particularly hard and it goes on and we don't see very much change and we wonder because we feel like God is distant distant from us. And so Paul's saying, if you can't trust in the kind of the feeling of God's closeness, just trust in physics. 
Because in physics, there's an equal and opposite reaction for every action. Paul says, I know what it's like to feel like you can't, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and you're wondering if the promises of God are true and you don't feel like you can trust God. He said, that's okay. If you can't trust God, trust in agriculture. What you plant, you harvest. What you plant, you harvest. But there's this one thing. The harvest and the blessing is contingent on perseverance. Look how it's conditional. He says, but only if you don't grow weary. Look at verse nine. So, and so, and, and therefore, do not lose heart in doing good. Do not lose heart in doing good for in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Those are really, this is a powerful sentence because the first part, those, these are two imperatives. And so Paul's kind of like, no, listen to this. This is the important part, okay? The first part is when he says, don't lose heart. Uh, the idea of losing heart is where we get the word in, in Greek. It's where we get the word uh, cowardly. Is you, don't become cowardly. Don't, stay courageous. And then the second word is particularly helpful because it says, and do not grow weary. And the word weary is not like when you're suddenly knocked to the ground from life, but rather it's that slow drip of the grind of life that's sifting you. You know, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back because it's fully loaded. And so he's saying, watch how these work together. Don't be cowardly because you've grown tired. And those two working together, that's why the sentence is so powerful, is it comes to our figure of speech that you might have heard, I think a football coach said it once, uh, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Fatigue will make a coward out of any of us. Because if we go too long for too hard, a super valiant soldier becomes what, a traitor. He just quits. And Paul is coming into our lives, the ones that are living for righteousness. And he's saying, I know, I know some winters seem especially bitter and tremendously and terribly long. And when that happens, it's gonna be very easy for us to, to just like give up and do things that are reckless. And he's saying, remember like the whole, the whole winter spring and winter is just a fake death and then spring comes. But if and only if you don't dig up the seeds of righteousness that you've been planted. He's telling us not to grow impatient, but rather live with endurance. If we grow impatient and we're looking at all the plants or seeds we planted and they all righteous, but nothing's growing, if we wait, if, if, if we grow weary and cowardly, we're going to dig it up and say, where are those seeds? What are they doing? And he's saying, you, you can't be impatient. You'll lose everything. You know what you call an impatient farmer? Starving, right? And so he's saying the law of physics is about endurance. It's about, it's, it's about banquets of consequence, but without regret. He says, don't, it's, uh, what's another saying? Uh, the roots grow deeper when it's dry. That's our, again, agriculture. It's like when it gets dry, the roots have to struggle farther down to get nutrients like water. And so sometimes the driest times for the longest times are actually the times when our roots are growing deepest. So Paul says, don't dig it up. Don't give it up. Delayed gratification. It's all about endurance and endurance means delayed gratification and delayed gratification is I'm not going to enjoy the present 
because it's an investment into my future, future reward. Pleasant, present, I'm sorry, present pleasure is not worth my future reward. But when it goes on and goes on and goes on, we just, here's, here's like how it applies today, very much so. Right now in America, between the 50 to 60 year old group is the largest in the history, demographic in the history of America. And that demographic, there's a word for it. It's called midlife. It's not even in the middle. It's mostly towards the end of the middle. And what happens during that time between drama at home and with our family members is we start realizing we're seeing people die our age. And then we're starting to see that the fact that we're going to die and then be forgotten and people just move on. And now watch how this all works together is if I keep putting off present pleasure for future gain, somewhere in there during midlife, a person says, when's it my turn? I mean, when do I get mine? Because I've waited all the, I've waited. I don't, I don't see much. I never, I never sowed any wild oats. I've got no stories like that. And Paul's saying, if you sow wild oats, you harvest wild oats. Same oats, but a lot more. You don't want to go there. You can tear up 30 years of a righteous life in one bad afternoon where you grew weary and, and cowardly. And so don't do it. And so his last application here, I think is, is uh, interesting. Because how do you keep from growing weary and staying courageous? The next sentence says, so then, while we have an opportunity, let us all, let us all men, especially those who are in the house. I messed that up. I'm sorry. Let's start over. So then, while we have an opportunity, let's do good to all men, especially those who are in the household of faith. How do we keep marching? He says, don't march alone. How do we keep fighting the fight? Don't fight alone. He's saying as much as possible, be good to everybody in the church, especially those in the church outside the church as well. And he's just saying the purpose of being in community like this is so that we can have intelligent conversations, especially with people that are older than we are. And so like, uh, it's, it's as though he's telling us like, go find other farmers especially not when your winter is especially brittle, not when you're into the, like the last stretch and you go in and say, give me some advice. It's, it's establishing a relationships early with people that have been where you're going or are. That's why our whole church is structured around mentoring. You go to, cel- you go to Celebrate Recovery, you go to uh, Re-Engage, you go to any one of our communities, any one of our Bible studies. There's gonna be older, older farmers that have been where you've been that can speak truth to your life and say, like, don't do this, you know? There's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming. We've been, we've, we saw this years ago, over 30 years ago. We saw our, our, in our student ministry, we saw especially our upperclassmen, they start just, it just, they start doing some math and they realize living righteously isn't working. I mean, the wicked are getting celebrated. The righteous are actively made fun of. They're coming up on their senior year and they're saying, it's, it's not worth it. They're growing weary, growing cowardly, sometimes in isolation. Isolation plus fear equals a lot of regret. And so over 30 years ago, and we did this up until the pandemic, 
we'd take some of the upperclassmen and we'd sneak into a college uh, Christian conference. Crew ha- throws, has one in, up in Dallas, and we, we'd ask permission. We weren't sneaking in, weren't crashing, but we'd come in for two days, one night, and just, just these kids sometimes, they're the only ones in their class, it feels like, the only one in the lunchroom feels like, and we'd take them in there, and there's hundreds, sometimes thousands of kids worshiping God, surrendering their lives, telling stories of adventure, and the, you know, in the night talk, the kids are like, is this real? I mean, are there, are there this many Christians out there? Not at your school, but next year. Hang in there. Don't tear up the righteous seed that you planted. <laughs> I mean, with Elijah, the same thing happened to him when he was torn apart and growing weary. God comes to him and says, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his idol. And Elijah's like, I don't know any of them. Well, they're out there. So this church is a multi-generation church. And the strongest asset that we have is this cascading wisdom of people that either regret plowing up righteous seed or hung in there and stayed till the end. Do that. Find yourself someone and go and find someone 10 years younger than you and drag them through the process so that we can have a harvest of eternal life together. Paul's conclusion is pretty simple. Every decision has a price tag. The price tags have been established. There's no changing it. And he's trying to take the mystery out of the spiritual realm. It's cause effect. You plant, you harvest. The same and more. So don't plant seeds of the flesh. You can't live that way. Plant seeds of righteousness and endure to the end. And you'll be glad you did. I love how Paul in the book of Galatians starts and ends the book with this idea of grace. That, you live by, that we live and thrive by grace and grace transforms. And so I, let, me, let me read you again, I, a modern translation of this section that we read and listen to how Paul is calling us out to live the abundant life. Do not be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What person plants? Whatever a person plants, he's gonna harvest. The person who plants selfishness, Ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, he's going to harvest a crop of weeds. And all he'll be able to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growing through him, he's going to harvest real life, eternal life. This, this book called Galatians, and this, these, these verses are some of my favorite in there, is quite frankly the template for this congregation, grace. It says it on the sides of our building. We found out that grace transforms, that you are saved by grace and you're sanctified by grace. When you start with a gift, you don't try to earn your way later. And what we found was if, if you give grace, you receive grace. Grace overflows inside and outside the church. And it has been my experience that people that come here from outside the church, it's their somewhat first time they've just grasped the idea that God has done everything for them and they're captivated by it. They wanna live their lives according to it. The other group of people that I find that we attract quite often here at the church is people that have been to other churches where they're, okay, you've been saved by grace, now perfected by doing, getting busy. And it's either some kind of legalism 
or I'm just going to invent a word here and call it busyism. Like, just get busy. Like, everybody get busy. And when they come here, <laughs> this, com- this story is very common. It's like, no one's making me do anything. No one's making me feel terrible or guilty because I'm only here X amount of times per week. This is refreshing. Well, you give grace, you get grace. And, and it's, we're supposed to be living in the abundance of love and generosity and forgiveness towards one another. And we do that because we have this absolute confidence in the deepest recesses of our souls that God has done all things for us for his glory so that we might present ourselves holy for his joy. That's what I, that's, that's what I, I love about our church. The fuel that we run on is gratitude, not guilt, not obligation, but joy. And my prayer is that we would continue to do that. It's the power of the gospel in the context of physical facts and truths that what you reap or what you plant, you harvest. You reap what you sow. There's Paul's lesson to us. Let's pray that we might take it to heart. Lord, I uh, would like uh, for your spirit to, well, first, maybe there's some people here that are planting weeds and they have nothing to show for it, so they think they're getting away with that. And, and they mock you, and they, they're playing, they're bluffing. And I'd ask that uh, they would fear <laughs> Mother Nature if they don't fear you. But, Lord, I'd ask that they would have a banquet soon and that that would be the end of, of that illness. They, they would quit trying to play games with your mercy and grace. Lord, I'd ask the, the men and women here... Uh, even the young teens that are living for you and are growing weary. And I, I can, sometimes I feel the, the courage drain and the desire to want to just give in. I'd ask, Lord, that their spirit would be uh, strengthened, that, that it would, they'd be held up by not just your spirit, but rather these truths that if we can't understand the spiritual world, we can understand that we can't grow weary in doing good. And we would find, and these men and women, these teens would find someone to inspire them to wait till the spring. When we see resurrection take place, we see a harvest of righteous and even eternal life. So Lord, I'd ask that you'd give them a special greeting from someone and a joy from someone. And some of those people would even look for someone to mentor, to inspire, to ride through the storms of life. Lord, I'd ask that you would bless this church for its namesake, that we would be a church of grace, that we would give grace and receive grace, forgiveness, joy, that the, spirit, the fruits of the Spirit would overflow into the pews and into the streets from this hilltop. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.